The power of momentum in college football cannot be overstated. A team can make right play after right play after right play throughout the course of the game, but if you don't make the big plays in the biggest moments, it's all going to be proven worthless. Welcome back to All Football is Good Football. I'm Aaron Irvin coming to you from Scottsdale, Arizona, where we are in the midst of a cold front, and it is a whopping 97 degrees here right now. Um, we got a lot to get into today, so let's go ahead and get into it. We got week seven recap, week eight previews, uh, some apologies that need to be given for how these walk-off wages have been performing. Um, but yeah, without any further ado, let's just go ahead and jump right into it. We're going to start off talking about the game I was just referencing, and that is Oregon versus Washington. Michael Penix and Washington just announced themselves as Pac-12 title favorites and what is probably a game of the year candidate. Penix was outstanding. Um, he's got to be the Heisman favorite um, coming out of this game for sure. Still a long way to go this season, but wow. I mean, what, what, a, what a statement from, from him and this Washington team. Um, fireworks were expected. Fireworks were given over 900 yards of offense combined in this game. But when you're watching the game, the defense has still made a lot a lot of big plays throughout the game. So it was one of those where, yeah, we had high-quality offense and we had a lot of scoring, but there was still some high-quality defense as well. Both teams were aggressive. I know a lot of people are going to talk about how aggressive Dan Landing was, but Kalen DeBoer had, had some aggressive calls throughout the game as well. Remember, he went for it on fourth. He went for it fourth down and goal to go late in the second half. Winds up getting stopped there. It's something that hasn't been talked a whole lot about this week because Washington wound up winning the game. But just going back to the fact that both of these teams were aggressive in their play calling and it made for such an entertaining game. I picked Oregon to win this game. A big reason I picked Oregon to win this game is I thought I was going to get the stops and the turnovers I needed from the Oregon defense. And to a certain extent, I did. I get an interception towards the end of halftime um, from the Oregon defense on a on a route where Roma Duzine slips, um, unfortunately, and results in an interception for the Ducks. I also get the goal line stand that I was just talking about um, with the Huskies going for it four times um, inside the five-yard line. Very, very um, resembling of what we saw happen in the Cotton Bowl a couple weeks ago with Oklahoma and Texas. Um, but I mean, just, just, just these incredible fine margins. I got the two stops that I thought I would need from, from Oregon, but man, Washington's defense came up and got, and got the stops that it, that it needed to keep, to give its offense one more chance. And sometimes that's all it's about, man, just getting your offense on the field one more time. And that's what Washington was able to do. Um, Dan Manning was absolutely trying to call game at the end. I, I believe I've heard some speculation about whether Dan Lanning was going two for one and, and trying to see, okay, well, if we don't score here and what we're going to get Washington enough time to go down the field and, and score and we'll have time to get the ball back. Uh, and maybe that is what the thought process was. Um, but yeah, for me, I, I just really believe that Dan Lanning was looking at that, trying to say, Hey, I, I got the ball right now. I got an opportunity to, to, to go win this game. I think Dan Lanning went for the win, and I think it's a commendable decision. Honestly, I, it's one of those decisions where some people weren't going to be happy with him either way. I was going to be happy with Dan Lanning either way. If he decides to punt it there and uh, make Washington drive the length of the field, especially, again, considering Washington had not scored um, in the fourth quarter. They hadn't scored um, since early on in the third quarter. 
Um, so trusting the defense there would, would have been, a, would have been a, something else that I would have supported as well. Um, the, the margins are just so fine in college football and it, it's easy to sit here and bash a coach for deciding to go for it. But I mean, at the end of the day, Dan Landing knows his team and he knows, he knows his team. He knows what his guys needed in that moment. Oregon's identity, part of its identity this season has been where that they're an aggressive team. They were going for it on fourth down up 28 to nothing on Colorado at home in, in the third quarter. I mean, them going for it on fourth down to, to try to win a game shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. At the end of the day, both coaches made, made some aggressive play calls. I agreed with the aggressive play calling nature in this kind of game. Uh, the truth is that, again, Washington getting stuffed inside the five four, four straight plays isn't going to be talked about because they went on to win this game. That's fine, right? To the victor goes the spoils. And, you know, who – History is recorded by the victors, all that good stuff. So uh, it will get swept away. But, again, margins are fine in college football, and we were very close to having a different conversation. But let's keep talking about the winners, shall we? Uh, many people thought that Washington was a serious team before this game. I I saw Washington as a Pac-12 contender. Um, after coming away from this game, I there is no debate that they are the Pac-12 favorite right now. I also believe that there is – no debate that they're a legitimate college football playoff team. Um, it was it was a great win, absolutely for Washington. Um, but even if but for me, even if Washington had lost this game, I don't think that I would look at them any different than I do right now. They, I probably have them ranked a little higher in my top ten because they came away with the win. But in terms of how I view this team as a threat in their conference, as a, as a threat on the national scale. Um, you know, that not, not much changed for me just because of the win or loss. They look great um, throughout the entire game. And so I, I got to give them credit for that. Looking ahead for Washington, they, they got two pretty light weeks, and then they got that uh, four-game stretch to close out the season. That's going to be pretty tough. You got USC, you got Utah, Oregon State, and Washington State. They do control uh, their, their playoff destiny. They control their uh, Pac-12 destiny as well. Uh, looking ahead for Oregon, um, or looking back at the game rather for Oregon, like I said at the beginning, they they made the stops that 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 I needed them to make. I, I know that some will be made of, of of how the secondary looked for sure, but I think we really just got to give credit to Washington and that passing offense, man. That that they they got some special cooking over there for sure. Um, again, got got the stops I needed, and and the offense. The offense was great. Um, there, there weren't a whole lot of penalties. They won, they won the turnover battle. They outgained Washington by a hundred. Fourth down. Your magic number is zero. Washington, or excuse me, Oregon went for it on fourth down three times. They got it a whopping total of zero times. Oregon is still um, alive in the Pac-12 race. They're going to need things to, to shake out favorably, but because the Pac-12 is as strong as it is this year, Oregon being alive in the Pac-12 also does mean that they're going to be alive in the college football playoff conversation as well if they can win out, find a way to get to Vegas, and then um, play whoever, whether that be a rematch with Washington, which I you know, am sure several of us are going to want to see. Um, but it's just going to be really interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out. Again, we Pac-12 is, is kind of a mess right now. 
Um, there are no guarantees. I saw a lot of people kind of making it a shoe in where, oh, it's going to be Oregon, Washington. And man, I would love to see that game again. I, I absolutely would. I have no idea what I would set the line at. I have no idea who I would pick, but I would love to just, just as a fan of the sport to get to watch that game again would be insane. This game featured two, two transfer quarterbacks that are leading the Heisman race right now. And I find myself kind of feeling bad in a sense because all I can think about is how many guys didn't have the opportunity to go to another school and go play for another coach and go get a fresh start. Like there's, there's, there's got to be so many guys that didn't get the opportunity to do that. And we'll never know how great they could have been. Bo Nix, the quarterback, we saw Bo Nix at Auburn versus the quarterback we see right now, two totally different individuals. Bo Nix was barely hitting over 50% when he was Auburn's quarterback back in 2018. He, he, he's a Heisman candidate now. Michael Penix is coming out of Indiana and battling through all those injuries, battling through, honestly, not, not great coaching down, down there at Indiana and battling back and now finding himself lead, leading the Heisman race, leading uh, Washington to to a, to a 6-0, 7-0 record right now to start the season. I mean, I, I know that there's a lot that has changed with college football, whether that be the transfer portal, whether that be NIL, whether that be realignment, uh, whether that be all these network deals and, st- and stuff. Uh, just There's so much distractions, but – the transfer portal, I really think, has been, has been a good thing. I think that is where we're seeing as much parity as as we have. It it allow you know Alabama can still go and recruit you know all the five stars, but now those five stars don't have to stay at Alabama anymore. They they can go to a different school. They can go to a different Power Five school. Uh, so I, I think that 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 has absolutely helped to see a lot of parity across the sport. But just a quick tidbit there as um we get ready to jump into this next game. USC and Notre Dame, um, there was a severe lack of trust from the jump. I didn't realize that the trust issues that I was having, I needed to have with USC's offense. I I, I didn't trust USC's defense. I didn't trust the Notre Dame offense. Was kind of suspect on the Notre Dame defense, but I thought the USC offense would, would be the one be the one unit that. I could be able to count on in this game, and that was not the case. Three bad and early turnovers um, for for USC, three interceptions by Caleb Williams. It just wasn't good, but let's talk about Notre Dame. This kind of felt like the Clemson game from last year. South Bend is rocking. It's a really big rally point. You know, the the Irish are trying to really give their fans something to believe in. You know, special special teams is making big plays. Defense is making big plays. It, it, it definitely gave me the same vibe from from the Clemson game last year. Um, speaking of, I mean, special teams, like like I said, making big plays. And USC, I think, cuts the lead down to like thirty one twenty. It's like, all right, hey, we we if USC gets a stop here, you get the ball back to Caleb Williams. All right, then then Notre Dame starts feeling the pressure a little bit. Never even gave him a chance. Take the kickoff back. I think like. I forget how many yards the return was, but USC cuts the lead down to 11. Notre Dame, the very next play, bumps the lead back up to to 18, and it was pretty much pretty much over from 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 that point. Notre Dame's big time players uh, stepped up in big way. Estime uh, going for 95 yards and two touchdowns. Truthfully, uh, the the most impressive thing to me about the Notre Dame win is that 
Sam Hartman ba- barely had to be a participant, and it's not in a bad way because he was still very efficient and had two touchdowns through the air. But that that's the recipe for like if that if Notre Dame can get that kind of game plan and that execution, that's how they that's how they win games right there. Win with defense, win with special teams. They those two units are going to have to be big time players right now because again the offense has left much to be desired for me at times. This is a big win for Marcus Freeman. I think I think he absolutely needed this one. I don't think he was on the hot seat quite yet. Um, uh, I mean, although I mean it's Notre Dame, right? It's it's one of those jobs that's like an eternal hot seat. Notre Dame, Texas, Texas A and M, these schools that. Big brands, but for years have been underachieving. Like when you walk into a situation, Auburn's another one of those jobs. When you walk into a situation like that, you're always going to be on the hot seat until you deliver something. Um, but man, the Irish, they, they, they rose to the occasion, uh, when, when, when they, when they needed a win. Co- again, coming off that disappointing loss to Louisville, um, essentially ending college football playoff hopes, which, you know, I mean, it's something that, you know, I believe, you know, Sam Hartman said that he was coming to Notre Dame to do was to was to win championships. So understanding that, you know, you can't hit your goals, but to still show up for the rivalry game and show up in a big way, playing with your hair on fire. I mean, from, from the jump, I mean, Notre Dame just came out with more intensity. That's all. That's that's all. Notre Dame came out with more intensity. Uh, let's 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 talk a little bit about USC. Caleb Williams looked uncomfortable the whole night. That that offensive line. It, from what I saw, didn't really have an answer. Now, USC already had concerns with his defense, but but for the O-line to to perform the way it did, like, it, it's going to be tough for USC to win more than one game the rest of the season. They have a – this just started a brutal stretch for USC. But if the offensive line is going to continue to play the way it has these past few weeks, they, they, they I don't know if they can win another game. It, it, it will be very difficult for them to do that. It, it was just a bad day all around. Um, and I think regardless of how the rest of the season plays out now, if they rally from this and go on to win a national championship, I understand that. I'm going to have to eat crow, but I'm so confident that I will go ahead and say this. Regardless of how the rest of this season plays out, there need to be some changes made on that staff, primarily on the defensive side of the ball. We'll come back. We'll come back to that, though. Um, Looking ahead for Notre Dame, um, they get a well-deserved bye now. And honestly, with a pretty good setup to to finish with 10 wins on the season, Clemson's going to be their biggest test. The rest of the way, um, they're going to have to go down to Death Valley and um, try try to get a win there. But Notre Dame, pretty good spot to be in. Um, you know, ten ten wins in year two for Marcus Freeman would be good. Nine wins, uh, I think I think would be pretty good. They just got to find they they got to find a dynamic quarterback. I feel like that's been Notre Dame's problem for some years. Um, they've been finding a dynamic quarterback and and getting some real talent on the perimeter because they've had the guys in the trenches. They've had the guys on defense. They've had, they've had the tight ends to do it. They've had decent running backs. Estebay's a, a great running back, I believe. I, I believe he, he hit a few, he hit um, multiple people's um, midseason All, All-American awards. So they, they have, there is talent in Notre Dame. Like, let, let us not fool ourselves. Notre Dame is a very talent, like, is able to attract talent to come up to South, but they've got to get the quarterback and they've got to get that speed on the perimeter to really become a threat 
um, on a national scale. Oddly enough, USC is actually in control of its own destiny. Uh, they don't have any Pac-12 losses, which means that if they found a way again to pull everything together, they they would. If they went out, they're going to be playing in Vegas. And if they win the Pac-12 championship, as strong as the Pac-12 is this year, a one-loss Pac-12 champ will make the playoff unless the other um, four Power Five um, conferences have undefeated champs, which I don't see all four of them doing that. The problem with the Pac-12 for USC is that the Pac-12 is so good that USC won't win it. Like, there's no, there's no possible way that with what we've seen from USC this year, and there are concerns – this isn't has nothing. This this isn't a situation where I look at USC and say, you know what, y'all lost, but y'all played so good that I still see where there's uh, some hope for y'all. That's how I feel about Oregon. Oregon played well. Oregon just trusted the kicker. I will main. I will continue to maintain. You do not leave the game in the hands of a kicker. USC just got throttled. USC should have lost to Arizona as well. Like they, they, this, there have been concerning signs with USC for a minute, which is why I'm able to sit here so confidently and say. That they will not, um, they they won't even make the Pac-12 championship game. They play host to Utah this week um, as they look to get back on track. But man, I, I, your staff matters, your coaching matters, development matters, and culture matters. And at a certain point, I can't continue to feel bad for Lincoln Riley because he condones he condones this. He condones the piss poor defense that we see week in and week out because he continues to employ Alex Grinch. And until he gets rid of Alex Wrench as the defensive coordinator, he will not have a good defense, and it will continue to hold him back. I think um, it, it, it's been talked about multiple times at this point. We're talking about Caleb Williams, Heisman winner. Kyler Murray, Heisman winner. Baker Mayfield, Heisman winner. Jalen Hurts, Heisman finalist. Spencer Rattler, one of the one of the top ten re- recruits in the past ten, ten years to to come out at the quarterback position. And Lincoln Riley doesn't even have. I don't even think he has a New Year's Six win to show for. He might have a New Year's Six win, but he does he doesn't have a playoff win to show for. He doesn't have anything of real tangible success for him to have had the kind of quarterback play that he has been blessed to have. There's coaches that I can only imagine what what, what Lane Kiffin could do with. Actually, I really don't have to imagine what Lane Kiffin could do with with, with Heisman um, caliber quarterbacks. I mean, what 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 Steve Sarkeesian can do with Heisman caliber quarterbacks. But regardless of what other coaches would do with the talent that Lincoln Riley's been able to have, he's just got to he's got to get more out of it. He's he's got to get more out of it. And I think that's and I think getting more out of it is going to start with him making some changes on his staff defensively. Score lines can be deceiving. Um, if you looked at the final score of this Miami and North Carolina game, you would say, "Hey, you know." Miami got beat by double digits, but you know they they kept it kind of close. It probably was you know North Carolina play, made some plays late. The final score on this one was forty one thirty one. This was this, this game was not close. UNC dominated the second half, and at one point we're on a twenty four to zero run. Um, last week I called for Tez Walker to be a difference maker. Um, I saw that potentially via production, but also thought that that could have been done just by him playing a decoy role. I did not predict Tez Walker to to get three touchdowns and over a hundred receiving yards. That that was not on my on my bingo card. I won't even act like I, I thought he was going to have that kind of a, a game. 
I don't love seeing Drake May take five sacks. I don't like that. Um, now, I'm sure some of that can, can be fixed by, you know, getting the ball out faster, make, making the right reads. Um, because offensive line, I can't say had a bad game. I mean, 197 yards on the ground. Um, to go along with that big play pass attack, I mean, that that's going to win games for North Carolina. That That is absolutely going to win games. Um, this, the North Carolina defense has made improvements from last year. I said it last week. You, USC, take notes about what it looks like when your team takes steps and improves defensively. North Carolina isn't, you know, a top 15, top 20 defense, but their defense understood, hey, we got to make some steps because we got a quarterback right now that's a top 10 draft pick. We got a receiver coming in the transfer portal that could be a first or second rounder. He's got the talent uh, to be a first or second rounder in the NFL draft. We've got to start doing our part. We got a running back there in Hampton that, that can go, that can go and get, get us a hundred plus yards a game. As a defense, we got to start doing our part and, and pulling our weight just a little bit more. They didn't have to be great. Um, and, but you know what? They really were great. They went out and got four turnovers, which, I mean, is a complete, is a complete gift for the offense. Now, as a team, UNC is going to have to clean up those penalties. 14 penalties for 147 yards when you get against some teams that are better than Miami, um, that are more disciplined than Miami, it could definitely cost. But UNC is now quietly undefeated. They don't have a lot of marquee spots left because of their schedule. Um, but can Drake May make a Heisman push? Is that is that something that can happen, or is he going to wind up being in a spot where he didn't get enough marquee games to actually – get into the Heisman conversation in a serious way. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. Like I said, we still, we were, we're only a little bit more than halfway through, through the season. So there's still plenty of football that, that needs to be played out. Looking at this from the Miami perspective, this is why that Georgia Tech loss was as gut-wrenching as it was. Because, see, now Miami is in a spot where your ACC title hopes are, are pretty much dead at this point. You, you still got to – sliver of hope, but you would need a lot of chaos to play out at this point, um, including UNC probably needing to lose three games, um, which is not something that I find likely right now. How is Miami going, again, to, to respond this final stretch of the season when you have to come in and recalibrate your se- your season's goals? You Again, you're not winning a conference championship, so you got to come in and recalibrate that you're obviously not going to the playoffs. So you got to, you know, for those that actually believe that Miami had an outside shot at the playoff this year, you got to come in and recalibrate that expectation. I, for one, did not think Miami had a legitimate shot. So please do do, do not come talking to me about that. Just saying there were some people that floated around. Potentially, if things played out right, which they didn't, but if things played out right, Miami could go. I never bought into that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it – on paper, it looked like Tyler Van Dyke had a good game. Again, the two picks are pretty costly, but also the, the two picks are pretty costly. And then getting those two garbage time touchdowns um, made, made the stat line look a little better as well. I know some people probably won't say they're garbage time, but the game the game was out of hand when he got them. I know it was only a two possession game or, or what have not, but the, North Carolina was firmly in control of the game at that point. For Mac Brown in the heels, um, there is absolutely a path to Charlotte. Can they get there undefeated? 
that's really my big question. Their final three games are pretty are pretty tricky, um, but they're definitely manageable. Um, they're definitely manageable. Miami, um, for them, they're 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 going back home to host Clemson next week. Um, they're going to try to stop this two game skid. Not a great spot for Miami right now. Uh, look, if you look ahead at their schedule, uh, there is definitely a, a seven and five on there, which will be improvement for last year, but not not what Chris the Ball and company had in mind for um, t- taking um, some some steps in the right direction. I don't think UCLA could have had a more disastrous start than what I saw them do versus Utah a few weeks back. Coming out and starting that game with a pick six, I was like, okay, that, that, that's that got to be just as bad as it can start. I was wrong. Um, unfortunately, I mean, true freshman Dante Moore has, has had a rough go at it when he's played on the road this season. This time, two picks in the first three drives, had three in the game, all of them in the first half. Even with such a bad start, though, the UCLA defense kept him alive in this game until Dante Moore threw another pick six, would go on to throw another pick six at the end of the first half, and that would been, that would pretty much go ahead and, and end the game from there. It would still be close-ish throughout the game, but UCLA never really had a real shot to get back in this game. Oregon State is a very physical bunch for sure, um, and they've got the right mix of big play big playability um, that they get from from Silas Bolden. Um, he, he showed up in a big way again, as expected. Got some help from Martinez with, with 90 yards on the ground. And then how about Jack Veeling coming in with two touchdown grabs, uh, the, the tight end for Oregon State. Um, yeah, it, it, this, this game may have been kind of close in the first half. O- Oregon State was pretty much in control throughout. Um, my, my heart breaks for them that they, that they lost that Washington State game. Cause man, we could be talking about Oregon State right now, seven and oh, Pac 12 title hopes, um, full control of their own destiny with that, full control of their own destiny with the playoff picture. But shoulda, coulda, woulda, I guess at the end of the day. But man, I mean, Oregon State's gotta be feeling good about where they sit right now in terms of only having one conference loss. Um, and knowing now that with Washington State having multiple conference losses and knowing that, hey, like, if, if we want to get to um, if we want to get to Vegas for the Pac-12 championship game, we can start by winning out and uh, hoping that the right things will play out for us the rest of the way. For UCLA, Carson Steele had, had a very solid game on the ground uh, for for the Bruins. The Bruins' pass offense, though, is is just left a lot to be desired. Um, I think Chip Kelly's doing the right thing, though, honestly, by continuing to let more go out there. Let let him fail. Let let him fail. I think that this is going to be. I think I think this is going to be good for Dante Moore in the long run. I think this is going to be good for UCLA and Chip Kelly in the long run. I think next year we're going to see Dante Moore take massive steps. He's going to grow, grow from the, um, all, all the all the tough times that, that he went through this year, for sure. Um, it just it just breaks my heart though to see Chip Kelly have this kind of defense, a true havoc wreaking and chaos causing defense. And now he doesn't have the quarterback play um, to match it up and be a legitimate um, Pac-12 title contender. Um, Oregon State gets a big win here. Uh, you see, I mean, this this was a game that both teams had one conference loss coming into it, so both teams needing this game to really stay alive for Pac-12 contention. Oregon State's going to have 
three easier weeks uh, before they take on Washington and Oregon to end the season. And UCLA has now made it through pretty much the worst of their schedule, and they're going to look to finish with about um, nine and ten wins. Be interesting to see how they kind of finish out. But something interesting that, that I found myself thinking of is that, you know, ten and two, if there's enough chaos – 10 and 2 might be good enough to make it to Vegas for the Pac 12 championship game. Can UCLA get lucky enough and that be their case? I don't know. Can any Pac 12 team get lucky enough to have um, two losses and still be in the Pac 12 championship game? That's yet to be seen for sure. Um, so that's my last uh, game breakdown from, from week seven. Yes, week seven. I'm trying to keep track of everything. Um, just some other weekend notes. Brock Bowers is out for four to six weeks. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how this affects Carson Beck in the Georgia passing game. I, I actually am going to – I actually think that Carson Beck is going to be able to, to, do, um, to do pretty all right without him. I know they got, they got a bye week this week, and then they got Florida, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party um, com- coming up at the end of the month. Um, think, I think Georgia um, was – I think Georgia's still fine. I think they're still going to win the SEC East for sure. Where I get concerned with Georgia is what shape is Brock Bowers in when it's time for them to go to Atlanta to play Alabama? Yes, I'm going ahead and stamping that as the SEC title game, and I will live with that if I'm wrong. But is Brock Bowers going to how is how is he going to be looking when he comes back towards the end of the season? I hope I feel like if you're a Georgia fan that you're hoping that he's able to come and play in that Georgia Tech game just to kind of knock some of the rust off. I don't think that you would want his first game back. Um, being an SEC championship game or being um, a New Year's Six or playoff game either. Um, Penn State, Florida State, Michigan, and Ohio State, they all did a great job handling business this week. Um, Oklahoma was on a bye. Um, Bama will be the last top ten team that we talk about in this um, section. Uh, they, It wasn't pretty for them. They had a very sluggish third quarter playing Arkansas at home. Um, but they got it done, and they keep winning. They keep finding ways to win. I said it last week. I'll say it again. I think if you wanted to keep Alabama from getting to Atlanta, Texas A&M needed to beat them in, in College Station a couple weekends ago. Didn't get it done, and because of that, Bama gets to live. Uh, but that performance was a little bit concerning to me. I didn't like the fact that it kind of almost fell asleep um, in the second half and really couldn't get anything going for real. Credit to the defense, though, making enough plays to keep them in the game and eventually pull out the victory. Um, but with that, let's go ahead and get in a new top ten for this week. I say new. Um, the top three from last week um, didn't change. But let's start off with the honorable mentions. Um, I took Bama out of my top ten this week concerning um, stuff that I saw happen in Tuscaloosa when they were playing Arkansas. Um, I got Oregon State. Um, it was another team that, that I considered throwing in there again. Um if they're undefeated, it, it probably would have happened, but, again, should have, could have, would have. So let's get into it. Number 10, I got Texas. I know they were on a bye this week. Um, probably a little bit too harsh to, to move them all the way out of my out of my top 10. Um, but, you know, got, got them back in this week. They play Houston. We'll see how that goes for them. Oregon, I got at number 9. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily even know if o- Oregon is worse than some of the teams that I, that I have listed in front of them. Just um, a simple thing with the fact that you did lose a game, and I think wins and losses do have to mean something, um, even if I think that you might be a better team than who I have at number eight, North Carolina. I think 
I think North Carolina is a, is a very solid team this year. Um, I do like Oregon a little bit more than them, but again, I have to respect the fact that North Carolina has gone on their, has gone out on the field every Saturday. They've played thus, thus far this season and they've won the game. And for that, good enough to be eight in my rankings. Number seven, I actually still have Ohio State just a little bit below Penn State. I haven't seen what I wanted to see from that Buckeye offense. And the truth is, is that you could probably make the same thing, the same argument about the Penn State offense as well. Truth is, is that neither one of those offenses have clicked the way that I wanted to see them click. But I do have Ohio State at seven and Penn State at six because I do like what I've seen from the Penn State offense just a little bit more. I kind of have to grade Ohio State on a tougher scale because you do have I still think he's the best receiver, the, the best receiver in college football right now. I know Roman Dujanay is getting a lot of love and he should be. He, he's having a fantastic season right now. Should absolutely be a Blitnikoff finalist if he's not a winner. I think Marvin Harrison is still the best receiving, um, receiver in college football. And so when I see Ohio State struggle, for me, it's a little bit different than watching Penn State struggle. I think Keandre Lambert-Smith is a great receiver for Penn State, but he's not Marvin Harrison Jr. So when I see you struggle with a receiver of that caliber to really get something going even beyond him, um, it, it, it's, it's tough for me to really give good credit to your offense. Um, moving on to, to, to number five, because I kind of gave you the same, uh, the reason for Penn State being six. But number five, I think Oklahoma beats Penn State right now. I think Oklahoma, I probably was undervaluing them because of who they play on their schedule. Um, and honestly, was probably giving a little bit too much thought of what I saw Oklahoma do last year. Probably did one of those most dangerous things where you cannot judge a team in the current year based on what you saw them do last year. So, you know, that's on me. I know better and, you know, we'll keep working on doing better. Uh, number four, you got Washington. Obviously got, got to move them up after, after that massive win. Um, and so it's interesting. I saw a lot of people making comments about the fact that Washington, um, was jumping Oregon in some, or not jumping Oregon. Washington was jumping Oklahoma in some people's rankings. Um, even though Oklahoma beat an, a number three Texas team on a neutral side and Washington beat a number, I think Oregon was ranked eighth in the AP poll. So a number eight Oregon team at home. Why is it that Washington would jump Oklahoma? Well, what we have to remember is that before Oklahoma played Texas, many people thought that Washington was the better team. So Oklahoma was rewarded for beating the number three Texas Longhorns. But once Washington came and got a quality win of their own, things rectified themselves back to where people actually value these teams. It was less about who you beat and your resume and more about, okay, now that we think resumes are kind of equal, now we can actually grade you all based on how we feel about you as a program currently. Number three, I have the Michigan Wolverines. Um, it's not, it's not their fault that it's not their fault that the whole Big Ten West and, you know, the rest of the Big Ten aside from Ohio State and Penn State decided to suck. That's, it's, it's not their fault. It is their fault that they don't go, um, play, you know, tougher out of conference opponents. That is something that they do have the option of doing. I know that they got Texas next year. And if you look at Michigan's schedule for the next few years, they, um, they're more than making up for it. So I'll probably go ahead and stop, start dialing it back on Michigan's schedule because, they're definitely going to make up for um for all the easy games they've had over the past few years. Number two, I got Florida State. Um, let's 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 not forget that Florida State 
manhandled uh, LSU and beat Clemson, which are two probably the better wins in college football this year. I know those wins happened a long, long time ago, back in September. But let's not forget to give teams credit for what they did on the field. Like, we're, I've seen a lot of people just uh, almost casting Florida State to the side. Again, it's not Florida State's fault that, you know, the ACC, aside from North Carolina, um, decided to to be bad this year. I, it's not right to punish conferences or punish, excuse me, punish schools because they get stuck in conferences with bad teams. Uh, number one, I still have the Georgia Bulldogs. Man, it's going to be real. We're going to find out a lot about them when they go to uh, Jacksonville to play the Gators in a couple of weeks again in that big rivalry game. But um, yeah, that's that's where I got it. I got Texas ten, Oregon nine, UNC eight, Ohio State seven, Penn State six, Oklahoma five, Washington four, Michigan three, Florida State two, and Georgia one. And truthfully, I mean, like, I, and honestly, I, I'm all for conversation about switching some of these teams around in different spots. I, I do think these are the ten best teams in college football right now. Uh, and just can't wait to continue watching this season play out and see how, how things shape up as uh, this playoff race really starts to starts to take shape. All right. Let's get into the fun part now. The fun part is where I get to tell you all what I think is going to happen, and it is, gets published onto the World Wide Web where anyone can hear it and I have to be held account and I can now be held accountable for my prediction. So last week went three and one, lost out on that Oregon game unfortunately. Um but we're gonna try to do better this week, try to get that covered at five and oh. So let's get started with Penn State and Ohio State. This is one of those matchups that you spend the entire spring and summer daydreaming about. It's a big noon kickoff. It's a top 10 matchup. It's the horseshoe. It's going to have a, over 100,000 rabid fans. Drew Aller, are you ready? That's that's my key to this game, Drew Aller. I actually think Kyle McCord is going to have a pretty decent day. Um, I know that he hasn't been he hasn't been C.J. Stroud. He hasn't been Justin Fields. He ain't been J.T. Bear. He, he, ain't, he ain't been none of those Ohio State quarterbacks that we've seen from years past, but what he hasn't been, he hasn't been careless with the ball. Marvin Harrison Jr. is still a force. I think, I think honestly that McCord and that Buckeye offense is actually going to have a, a pretty all right day. Now I know that there's some concern with, with some injuries. Last report I saw said that, um, Abuka was going to be ready to go, that, um, Travion Henderson was going to be good to go. I saw Mayan Williams was going to be good to go. I saw Denzel Burke would be good to go as well. I think the only one out that I saw when I last checked the report was Chip Trainum, um, who's kind of that thir- third back. But they got Dallin Hayden, who some some will remember from from the Maryland game last year. He had a good game against Maryland, and then um, was very effective uh, f- filling in filling in this past Saturday. Um, this Penn State run defense is is different though, man. They they are really they're good. They they are they're really good. They're only allowing two point three yards per carry this season. So even if you get all those guys back, it's still going to be pre- pretty tough to to move the ball uh, on this Penn State defense. But man, I'll tell you, it's something about this time of year, 
in Ohio State, it feels like it's always around this time of year, late October, they start kind of finding their stride. And it seems like they're going into a game. It usually feels like they're going into a game against the Penn State. And then, you know, you're coming in this game, and a lot of people, like myself, are looking at the game saying, oh, could, could Penn State get over the hump this year? And Ohio State just – all they do is show up. They handle Penn State. And, you know, we all find ourselves saying some of the same things, which we'll get into in a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about Penn State now, though. They're looking to put away some of these past failures and beat Ohio State for the first time since 2016. The Penn State offense has not been what, it, what all that I had hoped for it to be. But they definitely have the pieces there to win this game. Ohio State, they, they, they absolutely are going to try to shut down that run game off the bat. I talked about him earlier. He's got to have a big game. Keandre Lambert-Smith must have a big game if Penn State is going to win this game. His big playability um, is going to be something that neutralizes a Buckeye crowd that's going to be insane. Remember, Ohio State doesn't get to host Michigan at home this year. This is the biggest home game for Ohio State, and it's in a big spot too. It's Big Noon, which to Big Ten fans, Big Ten country, that means something. Much has been made about James Franklin. I'm of the camp that believes that James Franklin has made his name off of one win against Ohio State back in 2016 that took a blocked field goal getting taken all the way back for a touchdown. I know his struggles. I know what the record says. All summer and this entire season, I've been high on Penn State. I consistently put Penn State above Ohio State. Again, I know what... James Franklin record is. I know what the history says. I'm going to throw all of that out. I'm going to take Penn State to win outright. I think it's going to be a slugfest, but I think Drew Aller hits a couple of big passes and does just enough to win this game, and I am already prepared to have my heart broken about this prediction. A good portion of the nation last year was reintroduced to what the third Saturday in October is supposed to mean. This year's game has a different feel to it. When you look at this year's game, both teams already come into this um, with a loss. The offenses certainly look a lot slower um, this year. Now, I will say, Milrow and Burden, did, they did look very – they looked like they had something going against Texas A&M, but, again, the Bama offense had that pretty abysmal third quarter against um, – Arkansas, where they just couldn't get anything going for real. Um, can they put their opponent to bed? That's my question. I fully think Alabama's going to get out to a lead in this game. Are they going to allow Tennessee to stick around in this game? Or are they going to put put Tennessee to bed and not play with it? I think that's been part of Bama's problem this, this year. I think they've had opportunities to put Texas A&M away fully. They had an opportunity to put Arkansas away fully, and they allowed them to stick around. You do that with a team that's good enough, not saying Tennessee is the team that's good enough, but you do that uh, with a team that's good enough, I don't know, let's say an LSU, you'll find yourself on the losing side for sure. Vegas thinks this is going to be a low-scoring game, and I fully agree. Tennessee has a defense that has improved from last year. Alabama's defense has improved from last year. Again, take note, USC. It's okay to improve on the defensive side of the ball. I stated earlier, both teams do have a loss, but because – it's only one loss. They both still control their own destiny to make it to Atlanta and play for the SEC championship game. And, man, what a big win that either 
for for either one of these programs, this would be if Tennessee wins, you get your second win over Alabama, and you get back to back wins over Alabama since God knows when the last time they did that. I don't know if I was alive when they did that. Um, so you got that going for Tennessee, Alabama. Obviously, you know, just just picking up another ranked win, building some more confidence, as preparing to go into this final stretch of the season. Uh, this game is in Tuscaloosa. I think that crowd is going to be juiced. Um, I, I, Bama, I feel like Bama fans have always done a good job of rallying behind their team when um, their team's back is against the wall, for lack of a better term. They are, since they lost to Texas in week two, they've been in wounded animal mode. They've had to find ways to win games because the standard at the University of Alabama is that you're competing for national championships. The only way they're going to still be able to do that is if they won out, including winning an SEC championship game as well. So they know what's at stake. Their fans know what's at stake. And this is a trust pick for me. Bama is the more talented team. They have the better coaches. They've looked better and they've looked cleaner to me this season than the volunteers. Penalties have been an issue every now, every now and again, but um, you know, it, 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 it's not, it's not, it's not too bad. I think that they're going to be able to play a clean enough game. I don't think that Alabama is going to be able to cover nine and a half. I think that's just a little bit too much for me, but I do think that Alabama is going to win this game. Going to take Alabama to win and going to take Tennessee to cover. This breakdown should be pretty quick. Um, we're talking Duke FSU. Riley Leonard's status is still up in the air. Last time I checked, I, I think it was almost like they might throw him out there just to see what he can do um, if he goes out at all. This FSU offense has been humming. The FSU defense is serious. I'm really trying to see what the path for Duke would have to be, and the only way I can think is through turnovers, which they are plus three in the turnover department this year, but FSU is plus five. So FSU's done a good job of giving the ball off of opponents while also taking care of it. There may be an opportunity to gash this Florida State team with um, with runs and, you know, try to take some of the air out the ball. They're definitely going to want to try to control time of possession and, and, and slow the pace of the game down, um, limit those possessions from Florida State and try to, you know, make this a, a slugfest that, that's kind of close going into the going into the fourth quarter. And, you know, you look up at the score, you know, it's a 2017 game and, you know, you've been able to hold them to field goals. Maybe, I I don't know, maybe Florida State commits enough mistakes, right? I don't know. Because college football is a talent acquisition sport. Florida State just has too much of that on their roster, in my opinion, for Duke to be competitive. Uh, Jordan Travis, I think, should be in Heisman conversations. Um, I let me not say he should be, because I think he is in the conversation. I, I think Jordan's Tra- Jordan Travis's name should be brought up more in Heisman conversations, for sure. Um, don't let your recency bias fool you. Again, we saw FSU manhandle LSU. We saw them go into Dead Valley and get a win over Clemson. I, I'm not clear on where some of the value of Florida State, why, why there seems to be so little value being placed on Florida State is just not making sense to me. Because um, we saw them handle business earlier this year. 
for Jordan Travis's Heisman campaign, I, I think he would absolutely need to have just just a completely monster game here if um to to keep pushing his his Heisman case further. This Duke Duke isn't you know a massive opponent by any stretch of the imagination, but this is going to be a prime time game. ABC seven thirty Eastern time. I think Florida State sees the situation. They 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 look they look good to me last week. They look good to me for a few weeks now. I know they kind of had a had a had a close one a few weeks back. I think with the Boston College or Virginia Tech, something something like that. But I, I like FSU to win big here. I like them to cover the thirteen and a half. I, I don't I don't think this one will be close at all. All right, moving right along um, to Utah USC. Camp Rising coming back is starting to sound like when folks say, oh, you know, when I win the lottery, it's like, okay, yeah, when I win the lottery, like I'm saying when I win it, but we all understand that like the chances of me winning the lottery are, are very, very, very slim. And that's what it sounds like. They can you said, like, I, I've been saying for, for weeks at this point, man, when Cam Rising comes back, this Utah offense is, is going to be something. Ooh, you just wait. You just wait till Cam Rising come back. I tell you what, ooh, well, Cam Rising, man. I don't, I don't know if Cam Rising coming back this season at this point, you know, based on some of the things that, that, that I've read. I'm seeing that they may just shut him down. He may register and come back for a whopping seventh season of college football. How about that? Um, but to actually get to the game, the Utes have looked incompetent offensively. Their defense has been stellar. You know, kind of, there's a, some very strong Iowa vibes here. Um, but wow. Um, and USC is in a spot where they, they just got embarrassed in South Bend and they're going to try to, you know, to look to reassert themselves as Pac-12 contenders here. Again, as I stated earlier, USC has zero conference losses. Um, for a Utah team that was better than they were, or excuse me, that was better last year than they are today, they needed overtime to win one, or not overtime, they needed a two-point conversion as with less than a minute and to beat them at home last year and then to beat them in Pac-12 championship game, it took Caleb Williams getting injured. So it took two pretty Herculean performances from Utah and some, 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 some things going their way for them to beat USC both times. The margin of the margin in those games is a lot closer than I think people really would like to believe. Where is Utah going to get offense from? That like I, I can't wrap my head around that. I don't know where Utah is going to get offense from. I mean, it, the defense has been good. The special teams have been pretty good. But can they be that effective to to keep them in this game? I know part of my my, my thing last week was that I expected the USC offense to still get theirs, and they didn't against Notre Dame. I think Utah's going to need to score at least 24 points here. I really think it's going to be closer to 28 or 30, 31 points that they're, that they're going to need to score to, to be able to win. And even against this god-awful USC defense, I don't see where Utah can get enough points to win the game. I'm not even sure really how Utah is supposed to keep it close. When you really look at this on paper, Utah is not supposed to keep this game close. That's how that that is the offensive discrepancy, or what should be the offensive discrepancy. I got too much respect for Kyle Winningham to to sit here and call call this game a blowout. I think Southern Cal is going to win this game uh, again. I probably, probably would like Utah in this if if this game was a home game for the Utes. 
that line's gone up to seven now um, as of the last time I, I was checking lines. I think Utah can cover seven points e- even on the road, even with the offense, because I really think the USC defense is that bad. Uh, this this is one of those games, though, where I, I really don't like either one of these teams, if I'm being completely honest, but I feel like I have a responsibility to try to break this game down as much as possible. All right. One more game. Going to talk Clemson Miami. Unranked matchup. That's a damn shame. This one game is also going to be played on the ACC network. That's also a damn shame because there's just entirely too much program, or excuse me, too much talent in both of these programs to, for this game to not be, one for neither one of these teams to be ranked, let alone let this game be a ranked matchup. And this game holds essentially zero relevance on the national scale. And that, I mean, it, it, wow, it, it's, it's just really sad to see. Unless you're a fan of one of their rivals, then uh, then you're overjoyed to see something like this happen. This game is in Miami, so neither team is going to have home field advantage here. Uh, Clemson coming out of a bye, so they should have some really good some really good game plan. Um, everyone should be rested up. Uh, I think this uh, this is a game where Clemson is just going to unleash Phil Moffa and Will Shipley. And uh, look to hit some deep shots on, on the play-action pass. I, I think that's where Clemson's path to success is this game. If they hit those shots, it's going to be a long night for Miami. Miami's already negative uh, three on turn, turnover differential on the year. I know some of that – I know four of those turnovers came last week against UNC. But UNC is a quality team. Clemson, I, I've maintained, I think is a quality team in spite of the two losses. I think is a quality team. So – why should I expect anything different here? I think Clemson's going to be able to get after Tyler Van Dyke all, all game and force him into some questionable decisions for sure. I don't think that Clemson is as bad as people try to make them out to be. Um, again, we that floor, I, I talked about it earlier this season. That Florida State game, Clemson came, Clemson came a field goal away from winning that game, and we're having a very different conversation nationally about Clemson. And I will continue to leave it at that because we shouldn't talk about what it could have, should have, but I think it's necessary when you're trying to properly evaluate teams. Um, the Tigers are going to win. They're going to have no trouble covering the spread on this game. I, I last saw that spread at three points. This, 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 this has Clemson written all over it. I think, I think for Miami, the, the back-to-back weeks to lose the way they did against Georgia Tech and then to – to really kind of get manhandled for, for a second half um, against UNC. I, I, I don't see where, where the bounce back is. They, there's been nothing that I've seen from Miami to make me think that they have the culture down there, that they have the heart, the passion, the drive down there to, to step up, bounce back, and, and, um, and, win, and win a game of this magnitude over Clemson. I say magnitude. It's not, it's not that big of a game at all, but I really do wish that it was. I really wish this was a big game. All right. That'll do it for predictions. Whew. 5-0. I'm feeling it. 5-0 this week. It's already done. All right. Let's um, get into the apology portion of uh, today's show. Walk-off wagers are 1-7. Um, I apologize from the bottom of my heart. I don't know what possesses me to continue to pick um, against Ohio State on the spread. I did it back-to-back weeks. I got toasted back-to-back weeks. 
and until further notice, I would not be putting um, Ohio State on walk-off wagers. Um, but this week, I got a feeling we're going to turn this thing around. I got a feeling we're going to turn this thing around. So I got BYU plus four and a half. Got BYU home versus Texas Tech. A Texas Tech team that lost to Wyoming on the road. Um, they, yeah, like I said, I, I, I just got a feeling, man. I, I have no real science, no model, no, no, none of that to, to come in and back stuff, man. This, this is all gut feeling. Um, second one I got, Arizona State and Washington. They're playing up in Seattle this week. I like the over in that game. Uh, Arizona was State and been able to put up some points on some people. Don't know if they'll be able to on Washington. I think that right now sitting at, 56 and a half. Um, I think, I, I, I mean, I, I know Washington is capable of putting up 60 themselves. I, I think I, I can easily see this game going, you know, 49-14 type, type of game where um, it, it, or 49-21, something, something, something high scoring for sure, I think is, is in the cards here, but definitely loving the over right there. Also going to be all over Georgia Tech. They're getting four and a half points as favorites at home against Boston College. Uh, Boston College just, to me, just hadn't looked like a competent program this year. So for me, yeah, you giving me four and a half. I saw, um, I've seen, I've seen Georgia Tech um, do a couple of cool things this year. I mean, they got the win over Miami. I know that was a practically a gift, but they seem to come in and and do something that offense doesn't look, you know, nearly as you know anemic as it has in the past. So I think, think we got a good shot there with Georgia Tech being four-and-a-half-point favorites at home versus Boston College. And then we got Oklahoma and UCF. I'm taking the over in this game. I got Don Rice publicly coming back as quarterback for Central Florida. Um, yeah, th- I think both of these defenses can be had um, for sure. So going to take two overs this week. Arizona State and Washington taking the over there, taking the over with Oklahoma and Central Florida. Going to take Georgia Tech minus four and a half at home against Boston College. and going to take BYU um, and the plus four and a half at home versus Texas Tech. All right. Good stuff today, as usual. Appreciate you all turning in. We will be back next week with more college football talk on all football is good football. Um, and so for this wonderful production team of me, myself, and I, I am Aaron Irvin wishing you a great end to your week. Enjoy your college football Saturday and God bless.